This is Trackside with Kurt Cavan and Kevin Lee. Now stay tuned. Stay tuned. Now stay tuned. Now stay tuned. Stay tuned. Now stay tuned for the greatest spectacle in racing. Ladies and gentlemen, start your engines. I got him, and it is Danny Sullivan gets him. Danny Sullivan gets him. No, he's squirreling. No, he's spinning. Danny Sullivan spins, but he goes around twice and gathers it ahead. Absolutely incredible. Coming to the finish line, Bob Jenkins. Who's going to win it? The checkered flag is out. Goodyear makes a move. Little Al wins by just a few tenths of a second. Perhaps the closest finish in the history of the Indianapolis 500. Well, you just don't know what Indy means. <laughs> Who will win? Who is the winner? Weldon. Of the Indianapolis. Dan Weldon. Weldon. Dan Weldon has won the race. This is an amazing day, an amazing day. I love the Indianapolis 500. I love everything about it. I'm so glad to be drinking milk again and to be a two-time winner. Boyd, Unser, Mears, and maybe Castroneves. Elio takes the lead on a turn one. Clint Checkers out, and then there were four. Elio Castroneves joins the four-time winner's club. It's an incredible moment. Uh, <clears throat> I get emotional because the fans uh, last year was so tough, and this year we don't have full grandstand, but uh, you got the feeling, and uh, thank you, the fans. Uh, I have the best fans in the world, and so an honor to have them. Is the first lap a big one for Scott Dixon? You bet it is. 234.437 miles an hour. Oh, man. it's uh, This place does it to you every time. Oh, my God. We are almost there. Race weekend at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and we are trackside, plausibly live to start tonight's program. Thanks for joining us, Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan. We will be back live, live by the end of tonight, so you can still send in Twitter questions at Kevin Lee23 at Kurt Cavan. Great open that our studio producer, Sam Rumsa, put together, highlighting the 105th Indianapolis 500 with some embellishments from last year. Really cool stuff. What are we going to see coming up on Sunday for the 106th? Rainy morning. Got better in the afternoon. And last I heard, the forecast is actually starting to look a little bit better coming up for tomorrow. Uh, tonight, we got a lot of things to chat about. This may be our last opportunity to really sit down and visit to talk about the race. We'll get into our tiers and, and a lot of what I want to get into is just what we learned today. I've had a chance to have uh, sit-downs, I think, with all of my drivers so far, minus one that I'm still looking for late in the afternoon. And I think some of my opinions that I shared from last night have changed a little bit on what we're going to see and some strategies and so forth. So, Kurt, I'm going to start with you. What do you feel like you've learned today? I, th I think the biggest thing is that they've all watched Elio's. There's two guys that they watched from last year's race. They watched Elio's onboard camera to see how he maneuvered, you know, and he was largely in the first five or six cars most of the race, so it may not be applicable to how Elio's car runs on this particular day, starting 27th. But I think they all went back and kind of reviewed that, so that's one thing. And the other car that they really examined last year, or from last year's race, was Graham Rahal because he was able to save fuel in that first strat in the first stint and then run long and then got the benefit of the caution that came out 
at the right time and he cycles up through the field he's able to get to the lead by lap 79 despite a kind of a you know a, a lower start so they want to see how he did that and and how he benefited and several seemed to give the wink wink that that was what they were going to try to do this year and then others talked about you know maybe you just uh, you know, come in lap 15, 18, 20, something like that, shortstop them and, and then get off on a different cycle. But it's going to take some some different strategy. Uh, we'll see how it all plays out. So I think we talked to some of the same people because I'm hearing a lot of the same things with, with Graham and Elio being mentioned. But I am getting different opinions on tire deck. There's There are some that feel like it's better than last year which makes it a lot easier to go long and try to get that clean track after hopefully from their standpoint quite a few uh, dip into pit lane and then they run a couple of laps really quickly to to make up some track position Uh, and because the tires don't fall off that much it'll still be quicker at that point because of the lighter load of fuel and then there are still a few that have said boy we're we're not sure that we want to do that The, the tire deck's not bad but we're not sure we think maybe the undercut is better so i think that's good i think you're going to have some different strategies if you like the undercut then that means you don't have to save fuel from the very beginning and that might mix things up just a little bit i would say one of the other things i learned is i'm hearing now the penalty for leading is more than one lap that it's more like two three even as much as four laps and the farther back you are the better it is so the ideal position to do that so for example if you're fifth in line you're probably not going to be able to really make much happen with the overcut meaning staying out longer than everyone else you're not going to go uh two laps longer than than the leader is but if you're in the middle you might go three or four longer than the leader and I think Tony Kanaan's been nominated to lead a lot. <laughs> I don't think the two Ganassi guys up front are even going to want to go back and forth all that much. I believe that Renus VK and Ed Carpenter Racing understands that may not be the best scenario for the race. And here's an advantage of having a lot of cars is that, one, I think Kanaan likes leading and he's going to enjoy hearing the roar of the crowd. And two, that helps the team. And I think three, it still might work out in Kanan's benefit because we remember what Simon Pagano did. He said, forget about fuel mileage. I want to lead the race. Less can go wrong up there. I think that's that's how he will approach it, uh, Tony, being he, for all the reasons you just said. So, you know, he's going to be somebody I think leads a lot. I'm not convinced that Renus VK can, can hold himself <laughs> back if, if the lead avails himself. Uh, to himself, I think he'll take it and, uh, you know, deal with the the consequences later. You know, interesting about not leading, Scott Dixon only needs 75 laps in the lead, which is a lot, of course, but it's not impossible in a race like this. But 75 laps, he becomes the all-time leader in this race's long history, passing Al Unser Sr. Uh, with 644 laps led. So just something to watch. I don't think that'll come into play because I think Scott's smart enough to know he, you know, the stats that you're talking about. I haven't heard anybody say, you know, how much benefit uh, will be gained by not leading, but it's certainly everyone has said, or at least those that could lead, have said, I don't know that I want to lead. So 
I think we're onto the something, and I think that'll be the theme of the race. And the other thing is, we talked about last night, all right, do you just want to come in a lap earlier because you don't want to take the chance of someone spitting, going into pit lane, a caution coming out, and you running out of fuel. So where that's going to change is I, I think the groups, especially starting back, are still going to take that gamble, and maybe even up front they do. The difference will be if they think they're getting close, you know, obviously the goal is to pit under caution, and then you're a superstar. You're going to be either staying up front or moving up front, but just take the penalty for going down pit lane and taking emergency service. Yes, you'll go to the back of the line, but you won't have happened to you what Scott Dixon and Alexander Rossi had happened is that when at least the Hondas, and maybe it's this way with the Chevys too, but when they run out of fuel, it's hard to get them started again. And they ran out when they were rolling down the pit lane. So that may be it, that you can still gamble, but if you lose that gamble, you're not losing the lap. You're just coming in and going back to the end of the line. I'd say something else from uh, someone I trust is there is a an opinion of a clear difference of who's good. What have you heard about who's really got the pace? Well, that's, you know, that's difficult to, to really assess or at least believe from my standpoint. I've, I've just heard people say, well, so-and-so was, was pretty good when I followed them. But the drivers don't – I don't know that the drivers have the best clear picture of everything that's happening. But everybody likes the Ganassis. More people singled out Jimmy Johnson than, than I think uh, I would have been – surprised by as you going into the day that I didn't think that many people would say that Montoya is adamant I've got a story on IndyCar.com that runs over the weekend just you know, effusive praise for Jimmy and just how good he thinks uh, the car is and how comfortable he looks one of the other drivers said today well I look at all the cars I've been around and his looks as comfortable as anything now comfortable is not always fast but I think in this case with the with the Honda power and and the Chip Ganassi equation and all the information they've got, I think Jimmy will be fast. And that's interesting because Lee Diffie told me the same thing. He chatted with Montoya today, and he was openly talking uh, about about Jimmy. When I was on the Dan Dockett show earlier today, I, I started off explaining, you know, why I don't really think Jimmy can win the race. I think he can finish third. Uh, and I explained the things that we've talked about, that he doesn't have the experience to fight for the lead in that top two battle at the end. And then later Dan asked me, all right, who's someone that has a good car, but no one's really thinking they can win? And I said, okay, let's talk about Jimmy. Because here's the other side of that, and I'll contradict what I just said. This race is mental more than anything. And Jimmy Johnson has done more three-hour, forget about 500-mile races, he's done more three-hour-plus races times 10 than anyone in this field. He is going to be mentally strong enough. Yes, it's tougher because he's not done this race before, but he's going to be prepared. He has amazing resources around him, and I'm sure he has studied all of these scenarios and situations that he's going to find himself at the end of the race. So maybe we are downplaying that too much. Maybe Jimmy Johnson can win this race. It, it frankly still surprised me a little bit considering the experience around him and a lot of good cars. But it's just something to keep an eye on that maybe that can happen. So my opinion on the strongest cars from what I'm hearing, it's Ganassi. Shocker. It's what everybody sees. But the other I'm hearing are the Ed Carpenter racing cars that they have the best pace and I think when they say that they're probably talking more about Renus and Ed Carpenter 
And then there really are many others that are in the mix. The Penske's, uh, the Andretti's, the Dale Coyne cars show speed. Who else am I forgetting in that category? And the Arrow McLaren cars. You know, no one's mentioning the Ray Hall Letterman landing cars at this point uh, or the others. So the feeling is those cars can still win, but it might be tough to beat a veteran Ganassi driver or if Ed Carpenter Racing is still in the mix because it just comes down to having a little bit of speed down at the fight uh, at the end of that. So are you changing your tears at all now with that information? No, I just was... I, I'm I, thinking about adjusting. I don't know what to do with Meyer Shank Racing. I, I, you know, if, if you recall back to post-Indy last year, I was all about Simon Pagano, especially, you know, the hunger and, and how good he is at this place. And and when he changed to, to Meyer Shank, I really thought this would go pretty well i haven't seen the speed from that from that team so i'm a little bit you know perplexed about how good they are i mean elio's really confident you know he's got actually the same car that he had a year ago but you know he's not going to be running in fourth and fifth and sixth through most of this race he's going to be working his way back through so i just i wrote elio i just actually had left out elio in my tears i didn't know whether he should go second or third and and i and therefore i just left him out so uh, i think he belongs somewhere but i'm you know like i said i'm a little perplexed by where to put him so let's get into the tiers now, and that will answer at least my opinion on some of those. Uh, your tier one is, and, and for those that are new to the program, I always have about a dozen, and maybe not always, but this year I think the number will come to 12, 13, 14, that I think can win the race, and it wouldn't be that big of a surprise. But then we try to separate it. These are the top class of of contenders so your top class is so i think my top class i'm sticking with what i said the other day we we touched on this i think it's dixon and polo and i'm and not necessarily in that order and i'm willing to put joseph newgarden in that first tier too because i think he's been really racy i don't know if i feel as strong about and i'm going to contradict myself here about the ed carpenter cars being as good as dixon and polo however we watched Ed Carpenter fall effectively to the back last year with a similar car, and he raced all the way back to fifth. Mm -hmm. So maybe that, you know, but there's a big difference between driving up through the field and driving through those last four or five cars. So, you know, I think, uh, I think my first tier is going to be just three cars, Dixon, Polo, Newgarden in that order. It's unfortunate that that's what I have as well. That's what I've had all week, and I'm not changing it. In some ways, I'm I'm leaving Joseph in that category because when asked in the offseason to make a wild prediction about who's going to win the race, I picked Joseph. So I'm going to stick with that. And I say this with less knowledge of where he's at. He's not in my section on Sunday. Hello, Stefan. Say hello to the radio audience. How's it going? All right. Stefan Wilson is walking in. Uh, here at the Speedway, plausibly live this afternoon. They didn't make him stay past 7 o'clock, or maybe they did. Um, I've not talked to Joseph since Monday, so I don't know how he feels about his race car. I've talked to his teammate, Will Power, for a long time today, so I do still think the Penske cars are good and the Ganassi cars are great. So that's my three. And even though I just talked about how good the ECR cars are, I have them just slightly a notch below. I don't know if that's fair. You know, some of it is... 
experience for Renus VK is why I'm not quite ranking him in that category. I think Alex Pillow, even only in his third 500, has that experience from battling for the lead last year. He's now a savvy veteran, and he has proven to be wise beyond his years in what he's done in the last two years. That's why he's up there. So I've got both ECR cars of the top ones starting up front, VK and Carpenter. I've got Pato Award, and then I've got Marcus Erickson in my tier two. I, I as well. I would also add Jimmy Johnson. As I said, I don't know what to do with, with the uh, Meyer-Shank cars, but I think they're pretty close. Maybe they're just at the bottom of this tier two. And the other one, I think, the other two, is my traditional pick, Takuma Sato. I think Sato... I mean, if you've listened to this show, you know how much I enjoy watching him here at Indy. And uh, the other car is is Colton Herter, the only one among the uh, Andretti group that I think can win this race. And 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 I'm not even sure that I feel that strongly about it because I haven't sensed that. I guess the other one that you have to take into consideration, the other two, are the Ganassi cars of, of Ericsson, which... When you ask me in a little bit, I'll go ahead and spill the spill the lead here. Uh, the the sneaky pick, the one pick in the in the group that probably everyone would be surprised by, but none of us that have been paying attention will be surprised by, and that's Marcus Erickson winning the race. I think Marcus Erickson's come a long way in these three or four years, and and. Uh, I don't know that it would be the most uh, universally accepted because he people people just don't know him and you know he's been in Formula One most of his career or five years and but I think I think he would be uh, somebody that would surprise people if he was in victory lane. So my third tier is going to include someone you had in tier two because I I share optimism on Sato. I think he has the experience, he has the daring, they have the engineering that the cars are going to be good. Um, Getting through the race unscathed is is always a challenge, but he's going to be in the mix. I've got willpower in that section too. I think they feel pretty good about where things are at. He's still a little bit uncertain of, uh, you know, do I have enough pace to outright win the fight at the end? But uh, Will, Will's in a good place in the championship and for this race, and I think he has a real good chance. And then I've got Kanan up there, too, in a Ganassi car with his experience. So that's my tier three. So that shows that, you know, I'm going to go a little bit different. I don't have listed someone you have in tier two that i'll get to coming up so tier four now or no you're tier three so the ones i would put in tier three the one we haven't mentioned yet is scott mclaughlin i think he should be uh a tier three uh probably and i think his experience may be the the hindrance there you know i started putting some other guys in tier three and i just i really should move down the meyer shank cars because i just don't think they can get there i i just there's too much balance there's too much strength and I just haven't seen enough out of the Meyer Shank, so I'm going to move them down into Tier 3 along with McLaughlin and Power, as you mentioned. I tell you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sleep on Connor Daly. If you like the Ed Carpenter cars, Connor kind of really ran well last year, and um, I wouldn't, if, if the ECR cars are good, I wouldn't rule him out. How many tiers do you have? This may be some of the difference. Well, I'm going to go four. Okay, so I've got five, and five is just someone I think can win the race, but and I don't give them a great chance. So then my tier four, Rossi, Pagano, Elio, Herta, McLaughlin. I think all people that you've mentioned 
I don't know that any of them have the pace that they're going to need to win the shootout at the end of the race, but I do think all five of these have a very good chance of racing their way up to the top six or seven. It's going to take a little strategy. I've talked to, well, I think I've talked to four of those five. I've talked to all five of them this week a little bit. Um, Scott's the one, I, I talked to him for a corporate video, so we didn't really get into what he expects in the race, but I know he still has some confidence. I fear he's just too far back to win the race. Finishing third or fourth, like Pagano did last year, finishing third, I think he can do. So that's my fourth tier, and that means anyone I have. And, oh, and, and sorry, and Jimmy Johnson, and, and I have Jimmy in the fourth tier as well. And then my last tier of you know, people that have good cars but will pretty much surprise me would be Felix Rosenquist. Um, I don't know why, but it's just the, the luck he's had is now a year and a half long. So it, it, good for him if he does, because that may be what it's going to take, unfortunately, for him to save that seat. And I don't know if that's right or not, because I think so highly of Felix. And I think if they do let him get away, someone would be smart to hire him and give him another opportunity in another situation. I've got Grosjean in that scenario. Much for the same as I talked about with Jimmy. It just doesn't have the experience at the end, and I also don't think their cars are quite as good. And even though they've not shown anything, and I haven't talked to Graham yet about where he feels they're at, um, so I'm still including Graham in this category because he always moves forward, but I don't know that they have the pace. And then I've got Connor as a long shot, too, because I think the ECR cars are good. But that would still kind of surprise me because he hasn't been super comfy this week, uh, th this month, when it comes to, to outright. Well, you know, he turned a lap or he, he hit 244, so the car's got pace. But you got to beat those others, so I'm still rating those others higher than him right now. So I'm not sure anybody I've mentioned that I would give a, even a reasonable shot to win the race barring extraordinary circumstances. So if I have a tier four, it's Graham, it's Santino Ferrucci, it's Connor Daly, and Montoya. I think I still, you still would kind of hate to throw Montoya out of the mix. You know, realistically, he probably should have finished sixth last year. He came out of the pits, he was running sixth, he's in pretty good shape, but it, he, was, he had lost some time to fifth place, and then his car in clean air was not, was not good. So he drops back three positions and then uh, waits for the tires to burn off, and then, you know, is a little racier in the last couple laps. But he basically said, why do I care if I finish sixth or ninth? Mm -hmm. You know, he, he, he had that kind of attitude. He still has that kind of attitude. So, you know, that's, that's why I say we, you shouldn't discount him. But honestly, I go back to, uh, to basically my first three tiers and say I think there are about uh, probably 15 at the max that I think can win this race, and it's probably about 12. And I think that speaks mostly to the strength of the Ganassi cars that I just feel like it's different than in years, in recent years, that I think those cars are just better than everybody else. So I guess I have 16 in the top four tiers, and then you add in four more, gets you, gets you to 20. So I think 16 is what we're talking about. And top three, well, we've got three, seven, 10 in that category. And in that group, I've got four of the five Ganassi cars and and I might be I like I said I could be very wrong on Jimmy because um, I I really think he can 
easily finish in the top four or five. Winning is going to be difficult, but that's going to be awful fun when I'm wrong. Well, I think it's a case of it depends on if Jimmy's in the top three or four with 20 to 20 to go. I think it's going to depend on who those other two or three are. If it's Dixon and it's Pelot and it's and not because those are really good cars, but because I feel like they have the experience to win this race. I think he's he's going to be, you know, behind the eight ball, so to speak. And if it's, you know, Erickson, Award and VK, I think he's got a shot. So it just yes. kind of depends yeah. on who it is. Uh, the other thing I would say is you have Grosjean a little higher up than others that I've talked to today think about him. At least three I can drivers, see that. Yeah. At least three drivers said today, that car looks sketchy. And, uh, and th- that was the exact phrase. So uh, I trust what they have to say. I assume they've been following him. And Well, he's had a lot of moments in practice. He has had a lot of moments. So, you know, this is a, this is a race of, as we know, 800 corners. And it only takes one bad corner to, to alter how this thing goes. So uh, I don't feel great about the, the Grosjean being into my first three tiers. Uh, let's talk about some news of the day. Doug Bowles chatted this morning with the assembled media. We've got pretty positive news about what the crowd's going to look like on Sunday. It's going to be big. It's going to be, uh, he said there's, there are fewer than 10,000 reserve tickets available at this point, And this is only Thursday. And he thinks they can sell half of those between now and the race. I don't know why half. I mean, 5,000 doesn't seem like a big number, but basically every every seat on the front straightaway and into turn one are sold. And that is hard to believe for me because you still have some, some tickets. I mean, you'd think you might have one or two here or there, but he said everything is sold on the front straightaway. Everything is pretty well gone in, in turn four. It's the North Vista, as we know, is, is, is the one area where, you know, you don't have a lot of people gravitating to, at least experience people and so that's the one area that could end up with you know three to five thousand left on race day either way regardless of of what the actual number looks like and by the way he said the actual number of seats i was going to ask you about that because i think the only previous uh number we've ever seen is what you put in the indianapolis star 10 years or so ago yeah it was 2004 so that one, wow yeah oh boy <laughs> um times are getting away from you but uh he said the, the the number of permanent seats is 232,900. So basically 233. What I found interesting, just based on my research over the years, is he thinks the crowd could get to 325, 325,000, which tells me, you know, if you do the math, that's about 90,000 GAs, and, and I just don't think that's possible. I think. Do, I think, do we think the 232 includes suites? I don't know. It, those They have seats, so it might. It might, and most of those suites have like 30 seats each, so it's not like those are big numbers in terms of the suites. There's a lot of people in the suites, so, you know, I forget what the exact number is. I'd have to pull out the story from that particular race weekend in 2004 when I did that story, but you've got... Uh, you know, you're going to have a very, very large crowd, and it'll be surpassed really only by 2016. Well, 25,000 or so, isn't that kind of what they're expecting just in the snake pit and that little condensed area? So then you're talking the rest of the facility, you know, to get to that number he's talking about. Can you get 60,000 around the rest? Maybe, maybe not. It's part of the allure 
You know, we love back in the day when local police would estimate, there's a half a million people here. Eh, we know that's not true, but we'll run with it. We'll run with it. Whatever. It's still the biggest single-day sporting event in the world, and it's uh, it's fantastic. And by the way, no Tower Terrace tickets available. Nothing on the main straight. Makes the pair that I have available on auction worth a little bit more. I'll, I'll get some details on that at the end of the show again tonight. But uh, send me a direct message. Send me an email. Send me a tweet. I'm not sure that I've even going to mess with auctioning those off because I, I fear that what if rain impacts our program tomorrow. So may just if uh, the first person that wants them at face value, we may just do that to be clear and, and done with that. And I'll find out what the face value is, but it's somewhere probably around 100 bucks. All right. Uh, I think Kurt's got a guest scheduled for us here coming up in a moment. Yeah. Tim Mafe is going to join us. What a great resource he is for uh, coverage of this Indianapolis 500. He's been doing it as long as I have been and uh, really great at explaining uh, his thoughts and he sat in on on media day today with me today and so a lot of good information I got just a I got about 17 pages of notes uh, taken out of media day so Tim and I'll get to a lot of those little tidbits and and more all right I'll come back at the end of the show and we'll get you set up for what's going to happen on carb day and carb nights out at uh, Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park where we'll be hopefully because the weather's looking better here for carb day tomorrow i think we might get some some track activity in during the day which will clear me to be there from 5 30 until 6 30 rain or shine and then hopefully the carb night classic with the road to indy and uh sprint cars and midgets will be going on tomorrow night as well stick with us plenty more to come trackside 93.5 107.5 the fan this is alex below and you're listening to trackside all right here we are with the second part of trackside tonight joining me since kevin is off doing his uh his work for the evening is tim may longtime journalist we teased it in the last segment tim's been around at least as long as i have and spent a lot of time you know based in columbus ohio so he's covered the the ray halls today was media day we had a chance to talk to all the drivers let's talk about a couple of those that uh were, were most interesting i thought it was interesting that you brought up the stat that graham was is 33 years old his dad won the 1986 race when he was 33 years old do you think graham has a chance Absolutely, because Graham, if you've, you people who've followed him have seen that he has a way of putting himself in contention. If he, have, if he has a decent car, he really plays that chess game. He plays that chess game a lot like his dad used to. I mean, they were really strong to the end in, in races and had a sense in their own mind of where they were, no matter what it, what someone else told them where they were in the, in the race. So, And last year was such a shot for him, man. You could see it until that wheel came off after a, uh, a pit stop. But, yeah, I think Graham has more of a shot than maybe some people think. Yeah, Graham was ahead of schedule, so to speak, when the fuel strategy. He had stayed out longer than, than everybody else. He got the caution he needed, and then as the race cycles through, he's he's positioned to to be in the lead. In fact, he was in the lead when he came to pit road on on uh, that actually lap 79. He was in the lead and pitted, and then the last pit stop, which is where the wheel came off, it was really unfortunate. He said that'll stick with him a long time. Oh, of course it will. Especially like he said, if he never wins one of these things, you know, if you win one, it totally erases all this other stuff. But absolutely, it stuck with it because he'd put himself in prime 
down position. And, and the thing about it is, this is as much as these guys are going for it. I mean, going you know hell bent for leather, 220 miles an hour plus. There's also that uh, that fuel saving game that they play, which at the end of the race, if things all things considered, allows you to maybe go for it more from a pedal to the metal situation than the other guy who's trying to nurse his car to the end of the race and that's why he had put himself in such prime position it was it was really a shame to see that <laughs> wheel come come off the car tim may joins me so let's talk about jimmy johnson just a minute a lot of drivers highlighting the ganassi cars and they're not ruling out jimmy johnson obviously tony Kanan. Scott, uh, Scott Dixon, Alex Pillow, Marcus Erickson, everybody feels like has a pretty good chance. Tell me more about what you learned about what people think about Jimmy's chances. Well, it's funny because uh, Juan Pablo Montoya, who basically always tells you exactly what he's thinking, no matter how it how it hits the ground, uh, listed listed uh, Jimmy Johnson as one of his six guys he thinks can win this race. Of course, he listed himself, too, among that group, along with Scott Dixon, Alex Pillow, uh, Pato Award, and, and Elio. Uh, but what's interesting is everybody is caught on to the fact that, yes, this guy's a rookie, but he's not a rookie driving long races on ovals, which there's a lot of savvy to that that I think is common between NASCAR and IndyCar. And plus, he's been a quick study once they've finally gotten on ovals, which, like Juan Montoya said, you know, uh, why he decided to come here and drive the road courses to begin with is crazy because that was not would not be his strength. That's where the, the young guns, as Graham Rayo was talking about today, where the young guns really express themselves. But on ovals, it's about being cagey. It's about saving your car. It's about putting yourself in the right positions. It's about basically making no dumb mistakes, which which take you out early because as Alonso Jr. once said, to finish first, first you must finish. And Jimmy Johnson's really good at that. It's really interesting, though, how that momentum is picking up for him to be perhaps one of the favorites in this race because on top of everything else, as much as he learns, every lap he takes, he learns something. He's in one of the prime cars for this race, which is the Chip Ganassi Racing, Chip Ganassi Racing Stable. So one of the things we talked about, Kevin and I, in that last segment was, what do we make of the Meyer Shank racing cars? What do you make of it? Elio and Simon both have, obviously, the experience to win this race. Elio's done it on four occasions. Simon did it in 2019 from the pole. And yet, I don't, I mean, you've been here this month. I haven't really got a sense for if they have a strong car. How confident do you think they felt and seemed today when you talked to them? Uh, Simon Pagino felt extremely confident. He thinks he's got a very strong race car. And like I asked, like I pointed out to him, you know, that, that's my quote local team now from Pataskalo, Ohio, right outside Columbus. And to watch them win last year was phenomenal uh, with Elio. But, but also what happened there, they won an Indy 500. The team did. It's a team that knows what it takes now to get it done. And, uh, you know, Elio was kind of sneaky last year. He wasn't running up front, you know, every day, et cetera. But he put himself in position as the race went on. All of a sudden, you looked up with 30 laps left, and you go, oh, my goodness. He can win this thing for sure if he can get it to the end. And he's as good as anybody getting a race car to the end at this at this particular track. But uh, uh, I think they're sneaky. I think they're s- sneaky confident that they can get something done on race day. But like I, like I said, everybody keeps coming back to that Ganassi stable you know, there's got to be a lot of horses that kind of hobble along from that stable for you to have a real legitimate shot, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, Tim May joins us. Uh, we also heard uh, that Dale Jr., 
Dale Earnhardt Jr., yep. a friend of Jimmy Johnson's. He mentioned the other day that, that uh, there's some anxiety watching Jimmy run. Uh, Jimmy said, look, I've been, <laughs> I've been scared a little bit myself this month at different times. Of course, that qualifying run had a twitchy moment. <laughs> do you have any, do you share that anxiety with Jimmy or, or is that just something that's natural when, when you got, you know, first time guys here in an IndyCar race at the Speedway? I don't know, where do you stand on that? See, that's the thing. He's not, you know, he's not 22 years old. And uh, a lot of people drive through a situation like that and don't learn from it. I even asked him, you know, what, what, what is it about that makes race car drivers different? They get a twitch between one and two and keep their foot in it, you know? And he's one of those guys. What, what people keep forgetting, this guy's a hell of a race car driver. Uh, number two, I think he, like I said, he learns almost every lap he takes and he knows there are certain things now that you can't get away with, especially in a race situation. But when he's going side by side with somebody into turn one or turn three, that's really when you're going to learn about him and how much he's learned about this racetrack. You agree, I'm sure, uh, on Sunday. And it's going to be interesting to see how he handles it. But he doesn't strike me as somebody who on purpose is going to do something stupid, if you follow my drift, because he, he's got that much background in him of getting cars to the finish line in NASCAR. And really, a lot of that... There's a lot of uh, similarities there in terms of staying out of traffic. You don't need to be in at that particular moment, staying out of situations uh, and putting yourself in the right situation with uh, 40 laps to go. So Graham also mentioned that uh, that he mentioned Callum Eilat in particular, called him a world-class talent. There are Callum Eilat is one of the 10 drivers in this field, 25 years of age or younger Crazy. and we've got a couple of 20 year olds a 21 year old in Renus VK starting on the front row any of those guys you think should factor into the to the race win on Sunday I think Pato Award's going to be I think he's definitely going to be a factor there's a there, there's an exuberance about that guy that I think is contagious Alex Pelot I think I consider him in that group right Alex Pelot a lot of people think he, he's going to win this race I mean you know, he's right there. He's uh, he's Scott Dixon's – I don't think he's Scott Dixon's understudy anymore. What is he? He's playing another starring role in the same production, right? Uh, and I think Scott Dixon's concerned about Alex Pelot. You know, I would be too because he's got a Ganassi car and he's showing how fast he is. You know, what's funny too is, Kurt, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but we're sitting there and we're sitting there post-qualifying post last poll day, and I'm going – we're, we, there's a crown on Scott Dixon's head. And you got these other two guys, Renus VK and uh, Alex Pelot sitting next to him. And I go, the difference between those three qualifying runs, you can't even blink your eye slow enough, fast enough to, to show the difference between them over four laps. And that's what's crazy is all four, all three of those guys know they have a really good race car. You know, the, the challenge for the Ed Carpenter racing team is to not make any mistakes other than on the racetrack, you follow my drift. I mean, give him clean pit stops, et cetera. I'm talking about Renus Fike. And then an older guy, which, you know, you're probably going to bring up, but his boss, Ed Carpenter, I think he's got a hell of a shot in this race if they don't make any of those major uh, mistakes. But that's what's funny about this. This is as parody, as much parody as I've seen, I think, in IndyCar because you've got all these cars that have been honed <laughs> and uh, rubbed on and uh, sanded on forever. Uh, <clears throat> it's almost like a, a cavalry charge, you know? Who's going to stumble, <laughs> run over somebody else's hooves, and who's going to shoot out front? But, yes, those young guys, and, and here's what we know. Young guys are not reluctant to go for it. 
and that's why you got to think if it's 10 laps to go and a couple of those guys are in are in contention it could be a hellacious finish well it usually comes down to experience i'm going to go with scott dixon because that's the easy pick here but polo polo would be really good anybody that that you think makes to that level of of uh, kind of sure things I don't know if sure things are right, but I mean, you know, how can you not pick Scott Dixon? Because he's got the car and we know he's got the moxie, right? And if his team doesn't let him down, how does he how is he not in the contention? Same thing with Tony Kanaan. How is he not in contention at the end if if his team now that's a very extended team with five drivers. That's that's a lot of pit crew members, et cetera, to call things the right way. But uh, you know, I'll tell you a guy, you brought him up a while ago and I'll bring him. Simon Pagino, I've got my eye on him because he's starting right in the middle of the field. Uh, he's with a team that won it last year, Meyer Shank Racing. He, there is a lot of confidence exuding. He's exuding a lot of confidence. And that's a guy, kind of a dark horse I've got my eye on. Same team to win it maybe two years in a row, but not the same driver. That'd be a good one. I've been on Pagino for a long time as well because I think he's hungry after last year's race. Thought, thought if he had a couple more laps, he might have got that one too. Okay, thanks, Tim. We'll be uh, looking for your stuff out of Columbus, and um, we'll be right back. Kevin will be back to uh, see what we missed and uh, tie up the loose ends as we move forward toward race day. The 106th running of the Indianapolis 500 coming Sunday at 1245 Green Flag. 300,000 people pass through the gates of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway to witness a contest which takes three hours, 10 minutes, and 11 seconds. But they're just seeing the end of a story that takes a full month to tell. Welcome, race fans from Indiana, the United States, and around the world. It's the dream of every racing fan to be able someday to visit Gasoline Alley. Drivers and mechanics gathered for an assault on speed. Dario Franchini takes the defensive line into one side. Stuck, almost as legendary as the race. What happens at the snake pit? He is sputtering slow and he hits the wall. He hits the wall coming out of four. Who will win? Who is the winner? Dan Weldon has won the race. There is plenty of pomp and circumstance as a more than century old tradition comes alive again. Ambrose and reporters, somebody's given him a bottle of milk. Well, that race would make anybody thirsty. There's a four time win on the line for Elio Castro Nemez. Street's on the line. Welcome to the four-time club, Elio Castro-Nemez. That is awesome. 33 cars, 200 laps around the most famous racetrack in the world. It is the greatest spectacle in racing. It is the Indianapolis 500. Oh, I love that. I saw that on social media today. I think that was originally on the IMS account, maybe somewhere else, but that's where I first saw it. Really cool montage to get us fired up. Race weekend is just about upon us. We actually got some good weather in the afternoon today, and our fingers are crossed for Carb Day coming up tomorrow morning. Peacock with final practice 11 to 1, 2.30, the pit stop competition. We'll have that as well. Uh, if you didn't hear, as I speculated and guessed on last night, if they get delayed as far as practice is concerned, they're still going to try to get some practice in, and that could go on at the same time as the concert. The concert is going to start, I believe the time was 3.30-ish 
as scheduled, and we might have cars on track at the same time. I've had several more questions uh, about would they run Saturday. I don't have anything definitive. There was a press conference today, and apparently no one asked about that as an option, and I didn't have a chance to see anybody today. I was chatting with my drivers for today. Uh, It's time for the track side news of the day, brought to you by Circle City Raceway. And Speedrome Friday and Saturday features two full nights of racing at the Tom Wood Group Indianapolis Speedrome, powered by Lincoln Tech with the world-famous figure eight taking center stage with Saturday night's 47th running of the spring shootout one-hour figure eight endurance race for their Thunder and Lightning Unlimited Horsepower late models. Plus, two full nights of racing on the historic fifth mile. Info available at speedrome.com. So here's what I think I'll make the news of the day. Uh, just we are back live. that uh, we were We were... Uh, plausibly live to start because our big NBC production meeting was going on until a little while ago. But I just was trying to catch up on Twitter, and I just saw that this afternoon Jenna Fryer had tweeted that Renus VK tells her that Ed Carpenter Racing holds exclusive negotiating rights on him until August 1st, and that Renus values loyalty. Ed took a chance on me. He's the only one. End quote. There's been a lot of speculation about Renus, and as I've said before, I like to see big-time, talented drivers stay where they're at. I like to spread it around a little bit, and I think you can make an argument that it might be better where you're at than going somewhere else. We don't know all the details. We don't know what the offers uh, and the financial situation will be, but we know this. When you're with Ed Carpenter Racing, you go into the Indy 500 every year with a chance to win the biggest race in the world, and there's not many other places that you can guarantee that. So that's the news of the day. On Memorial Day at Indy's Dirt Track, Circle City Raceway, and the stars of Dirt Late Model Racing will be honoring a legend with the inaugural running of the C.J. Rayburn Stronger Than Dirt Memorial Classic, plus UMP Modifieds, and coming Wednesday, June 8th, it's Indy Midget Week and the return of the USAC National Midget Series taking on the quarter-mile bullring. For more information, check out CircleCityRaceway.com. Okay, as I mentioned, we had the big production meeting today, so that's cool. We got a little bit of an idea of what's coming up on Sunday on NBC, coming up at 11 o'clock. So I look forward to all of that. It was fun catching up with Mike Tirico and Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Danica Patrick, the, the people that join us for this event for a little while today. They're all excited to be here. Um, and one of the things we have, so this kind of leads me to one of the things we have going on tomorrow. So... Uh, I've partnered with ABC Supply, and, and we talked with J.R. Hildebrand the other night, and I think this is a fantastic cause for Homes for Our Troops. So tomorrow in our sort of mini Carb Night extravaganza for the Carb Night Classic, Carb Night Classic pre-race party we're going to do again from 5.30 until 6.30, even if it's raining. As long as I'm not on the air at IMS, I'll be able to get over there. We've got a tent set up, so check social media for when that will be. And I hope you can join us for that. And uh, we'll, we'll chat. I'll get some Indy Lights drivers. Maybe an Indy car driver comes up. But it's just going to be a little gathering as well. And I'm going to try to raise a little bit of money without going to two extremes for Homes for Our Troops. And you can donate at hfotusa.org. One of the things I'll just donate and sell right now, a couple of different people have offered tickets. Um, one tweeted me. I'll respond to that in a moment. Face value, $120. Tower Terrace, they're yours. All of the money is going to charity. If that gets sold, I'll see if I can figure out another way to uh, get to the tickets that were offered to me today. I don't know if I can or not, though, because I don't know how I'm going to pick them up. Here's something I thought might be cool. 
I got last year's Indy 500 format, you know, that kind of tells us the rundown of what the show is. It's kind of cool. And then I had the on-air team sign it. You know, the regulars like Diff and Townsend, uh, and I'll sign it if you want. Marty Snyder, Dave Burns. And then I had Mike Tirico and Danica Patrick and James Hinchcliffe was in the race. He signed that. I've also got the NDGP format signed by all of the group that was on that broadcast as well. So those are some of the items. I'll try to tweet out a picture. We'll do that tomorrow night. If you can't go there and you're interested, maybe we can figure out a way to, to make that happen and you can participate virtually as well. Tomorrow night, join us at 5.30. We'll be taping the radio show to air tomorrow night at 7. Carb Day is coming up. We'll be back here tomorrow night on the air at 7. For Sam and Kurt, I'm Kevin. Beyond the Bricks with Jake and Mike up next on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.